This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, October 11th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Mountain Village plans for increased parking fees this winter. Harvest dinner comes to Norwood. Home is where the parking is. And a mountain weather forecast. But first... The San Miguel County Sheriff's Office has named Dylan J. Gustafson as the individual arrested over the weekend on charges including possession of controlled substance with intent to distribute, possession of stolen property and license plates, and reckless driving. Gustafson, a resident of Lawson Hill, was arrested near Trout Lake. He's currently being held without bond in San Miguel County Jail. The town of Mountain Village is looking to start charging for parking this winter. The reason that we've been having the conversation is that um, we constructed the facility uh, some time ago, and that's all well and good, but then we've been spending an enormous amount of money to maintain that facility, and that money is coming out of the general fund at the expense of other projects. That's Mountain Village town manager Paul Weiser. The facility he refers to is the gondola parking garage near the market in Mountain Village. And the reality is we spend millions of dollars every year uh, maintaining that facility and we need a new source of revenue in order to do that. In addition, on those days during festivals in the summer and on bluebird powder days, as we all well know, there is an overflow issue with respect to that garage and it takes a lot of manpower in order to manage that overflow and we need to have a revenue stream in order to pay for that manpower as well. Finally, Weiser says Mountain Village is planning to add two additional levels on the parking garage. While parking fees won't pay for that addition, it will help offset the costs. Andrew Vidor is with Walker Consultants and has been working with Mountain Village to identify and evaluate where the town can charge for parking, where it isn't already, and where it can increase parking fees. We're proposing a new tiered parking rate structure where there is still an economy option available. We have a preferred parking pricing program be within the gondola garage, and then there are premium options for those that are choosing to pay a higher rate for convenience in parking closer, but also an option to allow for short-term parking close to the village if you're not parking there associated with a day on the mountain. First off, Vidor says they don't want to negatively hurt individuals who work in Mountain Village but live in other parts of the region. Uh, We're recommending a winter season only parking permit for employees and commuters. I say winter only because we don't have a parking shortage problem during the summer months outside of maybe a few festivals. So we're proposing that that rate is $200 per winter season. That equates to about $2 per day. Fedora notes the pass will be transferable between cars so people can carpool. The pass would allow parking in the gondola parking garage and the Meadows parking lot. When it comes to parking fees, Vidor proposes increasing fees in the Heritage Garage to $5 per hour Monday through Thursday and $10 per hour Friday through Sunday. The purpose of this is not to generate more revenue for the sake of generating revenue, but to encourage the long-term all-day parkers to use either the gondola parking garage or the uh, emblem. North and South Village lots would have the same payment structure as Heritage. The North lot would also see restrictions for residents. The only additional change here would be policy related to 
Town of Mountain Village residents that have a parking permit, they would no longer be able to access the North Village lot all day for free. Currently, one of the challenges we have is because it's free access for residences, um, there's a lot of all-day parking in there for ski activity and long-term use, and we want to create that North Village lot to be able to turn over parking. For individuals who live in Mountain Village, Vidor proposes a $100 annual parking permit for residents that would provide unlimited day parking in the Gondola Parking Garage and the Meadows Parking Lot. Those two lots, the Meadows and Gondola, will also see charges for the first time. In the Gondola Parking Garage... This is a daily rate. This is not an hourly rate. $15 a day during the weekday, $25 on the weekend. The Meadows would see similar to the Heritage Parking Garage. Finally, parking violation fines. Currently, these are very low. And when you change the parking pricing policy... If the parking violation fees are lower than parking rates, we'll find that people will generally tend to uh, risk it and get a ticket. Uh, so instead, we want to make sure that the penalization for that fee is in line with the other rates. Fedor proposes a $75 fine. On the whole, council is supportive of the prices increasing. Here's council member Harvey Mogensen. I'm in favor of, of moving forward with, uh, with parking. I think these rates that the, uh, our advisors came up with puts us right in the middle, roughly, of, of peer, peer groups. You know, certainly, a disc, certainly a discount being a world-class location. Um, and it's necessary that we uh, pursue this. But council member Scott Pearson believes the rates across the board are too high. You know, our job is not to represent, um, you know, residents of Aldosoro, but, um, you know, a person that this effective, this, you know, could, this almost doubles the cost of a resident of Aldosoro who's skiing, you know, 60, 70 days a year. Um, it, it, I, I just hate it. I, I honestly do. I mean, you know, I, th I think about what I loved about coming to Mountain Village and you could park in this lot, you could park there, it's free. And it, it, it puts up a stop sign to people. And um, I understand the need to charge, um, but to me, it's, it's too high. In the end, council supported staff going to the Telluride Ski Resort about increasing parking rates for the winter season. Council wants to discuss further how and where resident parking passes will be allowed and potential hours of parking restrictions. Judy Muller, a former ABC News correspondent and NPR commentator, lives in Norwood. She has briefly emerged from retirement to talk about an upcoming event of great import. Okay, okay, so the event of great import line is a slight exaggeration designed to hook you, but only slight, because I cannot think of a more important event to herald than the annual Harvest Celebration Dinner in Norwood this coming Saturday. No gala can compare, really. It is the Met Gala without the Kardashians. It's the Hollywood red carpet without the egos, also without the carpet. It is, in fact, much, much more than those frivolous events. The Harvest Celebration Dinner attracts the most fun-loving, down-to-earth, community-minded, boot-scootin' folk from all over San Miguel and Montrose counties. Yay, even on Detail Your Ride. Here's why. 
First the food. I mean, it is a harvest celebration, n'est-ce pas? Spread out on tables inside the livery in Norwood, the very finest offerings of local chefs and farms. Once you have your heaping plate of delicacies, you can sit outside at tables or inside, where mingling and merriment will be in full swing. And speaking of swing, there will be dancing later in the evening to the music of the Telluride Gold Kings, a mix of swing and bluegrass and rock. But I get ahead of myself. Before the dancing are the auctions, both silent and live. This might be a good time to explain why we prize this social event so highly. All the proceeds from the tickets to auctioned items go to the Lone Cone Legacy Trust, a group founded by local citizens who saw a need to help out all sorts of local groups, from mental health counseling to programs for kids. So about the auctions. I personally love the silent auction, where you can write your bid on a piece of paper next to items you never really thought you needed. If you're anything like me, silent auctions are addictive. Last year, I lost out to a last-minute bidder on a used cowboy hat. Very used. Sweat-stained. For those of us who are truly all hat and no cattle, it seems suddenly vital that I have that hat and only that hat. I hear tell there will be another one in this year's auction, so be forewarned. And this year I am contributing some items, including mint condition fly rods and boots and other fishing equipment that I inherited from the collection of my late brother, John Mansfield. He would love knowing that his gear would be helping a group he supported. As for the live auction, you have to be there for the bidding on the pies. It's downright newsworthy. So here's the nitty gritty. Tickets are 50 bucks a piece or 45 bucks for two. You can buy them at the door or online at loneconelegacy.org. The livery is located at 1555 Summit Street in Norwood, directly across from the fire station. I hope I see you there. I'll be the one hovering around the table with the cowboy hat. The festivities in Norwood get underway at 5.30 Saturday evening and run until 9.00. Many of Colorado's mountain towns are facing a housing crisis. Soaring prices and a limited housing stock can make finding a place to call home difficult. But in its third year, the Telluride Winter Community Housing Program is going strong. The program allows nine RVs to make a seasonal home in the town park parking lot. This year, nearly 50 individuals shared their interest in the housing opportunity, and all the spaces in the program have been granted to prior residents. Telluride housing staff recognize its evidence of the area's housing crunch. Nevertheless, town staff are excited to welcome back Town Park's winter residents. They'll be clear for move-in on November 20th. Today, we're rebroadcasting a story from March 2022, and the first winter, residents lived in Town Park. In summer. Telluride's Town Park is home to music festivals, softball games, lazy days in the sun. Winter brings a sledding hill, Nordic skiing, and this year, housing. All right, so we're in um, the Town Park parking lot. This is my bus. I call it Just Some Bus. That's Simon Perkovich. This winter, he's living in his bus in Town Park's parking lot although he sees his bus as much more than a home. It has a deck that folds down to be a, like a, a performing platform. It's painted with chalkboard paint so you can draw on any surface of it. It's uh, meant to be like a kind of perfect COVID mobile, like you could um, drive it to a cul-de-sac and set up a show and um, you know do theater while we can't gather indoors. 
Perkovich is living in Town Park as part of a pilot program to provide RV housing for the winter. The town of Telluride is providing nine parking spaces for residents to live in their trailer, mobile home, RV, or vehicle. Telluride Town Council member Dan Enright helped push the program forward. He first heard the idea before he was on council and a member of the Planning and Zoning Commission. This was the one that really uh, caught my attention and felt uh, the most immediately accessible, the most uh, available to be able to uh, bring housing this season. Enright notes the town of Telluride has other housing projects in the works, but those are months, if not years, down the road. Telluride Town Council approved the program for this winter last fall, with tenants moving in mid-November. This winter, the program is housing 12 individuals, paying $300 per month in rent. Walk inside, and just some bus is a modest affair. So it's pretty simple in here. I built most of it. Uh, It's pretty much just a bed and some storage boxes, some shelving. Um... The town park gives us uh, electrical outlets, so I've got two heaters running. That's how it keeps warm in the winter. Um, You know, this close to the San Miguel and the Bear Creek. Um, And yeah, uh, you know, uh, simple stuff. It's just uh, has insulation and paneling. Um, Wood floors, nothing too fancy. Perkovich uses a camping stove for cooking, although working at a restaurant also provides a lot of his meals. He uses sinks provided by the town to wash up. So far, Perkovich says the situation has been great. It has been awesome. Um, It's the best form of employee housing I could think of. Um, As far as like affordability, uh, through like, like after one month of working here, I saved up enough to pay off my whole season here. That I, I've ne- that's something I would never have dreamed of in Telluride. Perkovich was born and raised in Telluride. He bought his bus at the beginning of COVID, built it out, and drove it to Pittsburgh, where he was finishing university. He graduated, and home was calling. It's kind of linked to the Lord of the Rings. I say that hobbits always return to the Shire. I see it happen to all my friends. We all went to Boulder, and we all come back. He says the housing in Town Park hit at just the right moment. I was figuring I would um, park this back in Norwood and kind of do a little half Telluride, half Norwood gig. But um, I, when I graduated, it just so happened that Telluride was doing the acceptance of uh, RVs in Town Park. And I thought, since I've been living in an RV, I really should capitalize on that. Both Enright and Perkovich acknowledge allowing RVs or buses to stay in Town Park isn't the silver bullet to housing in the community. They add, in essence, it's legalizing what some are already doing. It's a good stab at community housing, at employee housing. Um, I do know a lot of friends who are interested in this kind of thing and have, you know, um, even have rigs, but uh, reserve it for camping and other such stuff because it's kind of somewhat illegal to sleep in a car. Enright adds it's a sign of the time for the region. It speaks to the the, the needs of our community that we'd, we'd even consider something so uh, outside the norm uh, to address our, our housing crisis. Come April, the individuals living in Town Park will be headed down the road in search of the next housing opportunity. The housing crisis will not disappear. But for the moment, snuggled up against the San Miguel River, a line of RVs, buses, and vans called Town Park home.
The leaves are coming loose from the trees and will likely be soon joined by drifts of snow. So, Telluride Town Park and the Parks and Rec Department are preparing for winter. The Hanley Ice Rink is open today, October 11th for the season, and a full schedule of hockey, figure skating, and public skate activities are underway. Find the schedule at telluride-co.gov. Colorado healthcare workers with Kaiser Permanente ended a three-day strike last weekend, but their union has yet to reach a deal with Kaiser management. Picketers told KUNC News that they're willing to strike again if they need to. They're demanding better pay and help with staffing shortages. A tentative agreement between the parties fell through earlier this week. The strike began last Wednesday in Colorado and across the country and was the largest healthcare worker walkout in U.S. history. On Saturday, a community organization held a protest of the White Mesa Uranium Mill on the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Chris Clements has more. It's the only one of its kind still operating in the U.S. About 40 people attended the walk, which began in White Mesa in southeast Utah and ended at the driveway of the uranium mill. Manuel Hart, chairman of the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe, led the protest and spoke to supporters about the need for more regulations from the state of Utah on how the mill uses its wells. Hart says that the tribe ultimately hopes the state regulatory agency won't renew the uranium mill's application for a groundwater discharge permit later this winter. In 1999, samples were collected that indicated a plume of chlorine chloroform was present in the groundwater table underneath the mill facility on their property. So we really want to work in a partnership with the state of Utah. So if they can work with us, then I think we can work out where this mill can be closed, probably move this place to a different place where it doesn't have any population impact, environmental impact, air quality, or water quality. Those are the four main things. Energy Fuels Resources, the mining company that operates the uranium mill, will hold a two-day informational open house about its White Mesa facility from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. Monday was officially Columbus Day, but in recent years, many states have also designated the day as Indigenous Peoples Day. While Colorado is not one of them, some communities recognize the day on the local level. This past weekend, Right Relationship Boulder hosted an event to commemorate Indigenous Peoples Day and examine future steps. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Shannon Young reports from Boulder. Land acknowledgments in the form of short statements linking physical territories to displaced Indigenous people have become increasingly common in the last decade or so. Public figures routinely start off their speeches with land acknowledgments, while others tack them onto email signatures. For many descendants of those displaced, the gesture can feel a bit performative. No more land acknowledgments. Rick Williams is part Cheyenne and an enrolled member of the Oglala Lakota tribe. We have to get beyond land acknowledgments. It's not enough anymore to come and say you're in the homeland of somebody else's territory without doing something meaningful, without taking some action. Williams is referring to the restoration of land to the descendants of those displaced. The demand, often referred to as land back, has been gaining momentum along with efforts to educate the public on the long-suppressed history of how the Rocky Mountain West was colonized. They didn't want people to know that the greatest genocide 
that happened in America happened here in Colorado. Between 1861 and 1864, almost all Cheyenne and Arapaho and Osage and Kiowa, people on the Eastern Front Range and the, the Plains were forcibly eliminated or removed. That's why today you have no Indian reservations in this land. A veteran educator and advocate, Williams played a key role in convincing Colorado Governor Jared Polis to rescind two proclamations issued in 1864 by then-territorial governor John Evans. The proclamations laid the framework for large-scale violence targeting indigenous inhabitants, including the infamous Sand Creek Massacre. Williams is now working to form a Truth, Restoration, and Education Commission to document and examine the history of the violent displacement of Native people from what is now Colorado. He says the next step is planning for the eventual return of the descendants of those displaced. Some people have talked about an embassy or a consulate so that they can at least bring the leadership back and begin becoming a part of the discussions and, and, and what's been going on contemporarily. Let's do that. Let's make that a goal. A year from now, our allies, I hope, will find a way to make that happen. Let's find a way for those tribes who are ready to come back. They need land. The issue was addressed at the recent annual meeting of the Southern Arapaho and Cheyenne Tribal Council. One resolution that was passed was for the Cheyenne Arapaho tribe to start to come back to Colorado. Southern Arapaho tribal elder Fred Mosqueda was speaking at an Indigenous Peoples Day event held at the Dairy Arts Center in Boulder. He says his tribe's connection to the land persists through the generations. When we come here, we still can walk among the, the creeks and the rivers, the camping grounds, and it still talks to us. We still hear it, and we still know that we have stories of this place, and we know the land here took care of us. And it can again if we're just given the opportunity to come. We don't want to come and say, what well, we want this, we want that. We want, we want to come as neighbors. We want to come as partners. <laughs> However it may be, the Cheyenne Rapu tribes are ready. Hey, ho, ho. Mosqueda emphasized that he is Southern Arapaho, but that prior to the mid-1800s, that distinction did not exist. The Southern Arapaho Reservation is in Oklahoma, whereas the Northern Arapaho one is in Wyoming. And I hope that our people could do the same thing and make that resolution and start getting our way back here to home, where we can have our lands. Jacqueline White is an enrolled member of the Northern Arapaho Tribe. And so I want people to know that those prayers are there. Our ancestors are here. 
you know, um, it's up to this next generation to start building those relationships and helping us come home. Rick Williams outlined a practical solution at the dairy, suggesting a 0.005% fee on upcoming real estate transactions as a viable path forward. In Boulder County alone, it will generate $20 million to help our effort. Statewide, almost $60 million. That is what we need to bring our people home. Those are the kinds of actions that we need to take. And most of all, we have to recognize the truth because it is in that truth that change is going to happen. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Shannon Young in Boulder. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for scattered rain showers tonight with possible snow showers. The low is in the mid-20s. Less than a half an inch of snow accumulation is possible. Thursday, there's a 20% chance of snow showers with partly sunny skies and a high near 40 degrees. Thursday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 25. Friday calls for sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is around 50 degrees with a low around 30. This has been the news for Wednesday, October 11th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hello, Telluride. This is Megan Barry with Rainbow Preschool, Rocky School Age Program, and Rascal's Toddler Program. I have some exciting news. Our program board of directors will be hosting a new fundraiser, and you are cordially invited. Are you feeling lucky? Well, come on down and test your luck at our Halloween-themed bingo party on Friday, October 27th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Elks. A $25 bingo card pack will be available at the door. The bar will be open, food available to order, and a bingo win will get you a donated prize package. So come on out in your best costume and win big at Rainbow Rockies Rascal's newest fundraiser and celebrate the season with your community. Thanks, Kodo. Hello, my name is Rick Silverman. In a sharp-elbowed world of political uncertainties, it is rare to have a chance to wholeheartedly embrace a candidate who you know will bring so much to the dance. If the community could have digitally created an ideal member of the R1 school board, that figure would, if you value wit, kindness, and integrity, look a lot like David Lavender. David, who has six generations of family in the Telluride region, just retired from teaching at Telluride High School. It is the last of many public schools and private where he has taught, carving out a unique identity as gifted, passionate, and a teacher adored by his peers, students, and even administrators. Not easily characterized, David has simply been the kind of teacher that you dreamed of having from kindergarten to the iviest college or university. He knows his students, their world and ours, and the hurdles of funding and navigating the bureaucratic web of American public education. In my more than 50 years watching and sometimes participating in our local school system, no teacher has enjoyed the respect of David, no more substantively benefited his students. My own kids and their classmates universally declared him as their all-time favorite teacher, a man of such easy warmth that they still seek out his company now many years after having left our local system. Lavender, as most of his students call him, was regarded not just as a master teacher, 
a title wholly endorsed by his fellow faculty, but as an accessible, knowing guy who was adept at giving them a love of literature and the craft of writing as he was at giving them a deep understanding of the world they would be entering. And where one might reasonably be suspicious of a retired teacher as a school board member, fearful that he or she might simply be a one-note advocate for teachers, David genuinely sees education and its future challenges broadly. Finance, AI, varying language and economic realities, even hormones, and how to improve teaching and learning are simply, along with a deep love of literature and his wife, kids, and grandchildren, things he thinks about constantly. David and his wife, Karen, still live in an old family cabin on Hastings Mesa. He cuts his own firewood, climbs up a hill just across the road with his dogs for his snowboard turns on a board so ancient you could likely count the tree rings. He and Karen have for years done extraordinary things to get THS graduates entry and solicit unrivaled funding for those students' next phase of life. David is the embodiment of what a community might ideally choose to be a continuing force in the development of our kids and the careful, frugal, high-expectation nurturing of their school system. He is also a representation of a community that knows the value of public participation and of bringing the best and brightest to our most important decision-making tables. I love this man's character, respect his battle-tested intellect and grit, and urge you to ensure his voice is part of Telluride's educational dialogue. Thanks. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.